revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 4, verse 7, we read that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, encourages God's elect exiles, as it says in our translation, or the translations of sojourners or, or, or strangers. I prefer strangers, and that is the word I will use throughout the sermon. So he, the Apostle Peter encourages God's elect strangers in the world to live a godly life among the Gentiles. And to keep in mind that the end of all things is at hand. And in order to keep this in mind and to keep, keep living that godly life, Peter tells them that they need to pray with a sober, sober and a clear mind and, and deeply love each other and without grumbling serve each other. He also warns them not to be surprised when as a fiery trial they are made to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They should not feel ashamed about it, but rather rejoice in it that the spirit of glory rests upon them. And then beginning to read chapter 5, you could get the impression that the Apostle Peter now completely switches the topic. And, and now just turns to the elders among God's elect strangers in the world and, and instruct them. Tells them to faithfully shepherd God's flock and how to go about this. But such an impression that he just completely switches topic would not be entirely correct because Peter does stay on the same topic which is the suffering which the believers experience in the world because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's clear from verse 9 of our passage where Peter once more makes clear that the suffering is not something strange, but that the brotherhood throughout the world experienced the same kind of suffering. So when in the first five verses of this chapter, Peter addresses the elders, he does so with a view on the suffering, the hardship God's people experience. It is especially in times that God's flock experiences the suffering for their faith or that regular church life is disrupted, that elders need to pay close attention to the flock. And it's just as important that in those, those difficult times, the young men, the young believers, submit to the elders. That's also what Peter mentioned. He speaks to the elders and to the younger men. Now, why is Peter picking out the younger man? Because young people, young men, may be more inclined to answer the injustice of persecution in a more aggressive, more militant way. And that would com communicate the wrong message about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter knew that from experience. And he was about 30 years younger. He had taken out the sword to defend his beloved Savior and Lord. But the Lord Jesus had made it very clear. It was not what he wanted Peter to do. The Lord had already long taught his disciples to turn the other cheek. 
He had commanded them to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecute them. That's why Peter appeals to the young man. And so now after Peter has appealed to the elders and the young believers, he then in the middle of verse 5 turns again to all God's elect strangers in the world. And thus also to us here this morning. And in the following six verses, he once more warns them and he also encourages them. And that is our passage for this morning. And I will preach it to you under the theme as God's elect strangers in the world, we are on our way to the glory to which God has called us. And while on our way, we are encouraged, first of all, to humble ourselves, and then second, to resist the devil, and thirdly, to trust in the God of all grace. Now, first, we look at that on our way to the glory to which God has called us, well, then we need to humble ourselves. So one more time, Peter emphasizes that all believers, young and old, men and women, must be willing to be the least among each other. Close yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. And the Greek phrase, which is translated, close yourself, in our translation, means literally bind on. So all of you, Bind on humility towards one another. Just like a slave would bind on an apron or a towel in order to serve his master by, for example, washing his feet. So, all of us should bind on humility. And together with Peter, now we probably remember how our Lord Jesus Christ, just before his suffering on the cross, had bound on a towel or an apron and had washed his disciples' feet. And after the Lord had done this, he had commanded them and also all of us here that we must be willing to do this for each other. In other words, we, we need to bind on, clothe ourselves with the same humility towards each other as we have seen from our master. We must at all times be willing to serve one another. Always striving to be the least. All of us, members as well as office bearers, close yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. Not for nothing that the Apostle Peter, all throughout his letter, keeps on hammering on that humbling of, of ourselves towards one another. You see, in the world, humility is considered, well, a lack of self-confidence, maybe, weakness, almost. But in the kingdom of God, humility is, a, is considered a necessary virtue. Only the meek, only the humble will inherit the earth. Our Lord Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, that's the answer the disciples received when they asked the Lord Jesus, 
who the greatest will be in the kingdom of heaven. And to make sure that his disciples really got it, the Lord emphasized, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes later he said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. It's crucial. It is absolutely crucial for God's elect strangers in the world, brothers and sisters, to always humble and yourself and, and to be willing and ready to serve one another. To count the others more significant than yourselves. It's also crucial because in this way, this is the only way in which, you, in which you can bring true comfort and help to each other in difficult times. And if we are not living now in difficult times, they will come. We all see them. Clouds are gathering on the horizon and they are very visible. Keep your mind humbling yourself towards each other. So important. And as I said, Peter has addressed, addressed this already early, earlier in this letter. For example, in the passage you read, the verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4, in difficulties. Coming along in with living as Christians in the world, we need at all times be ready to minister, to serve God's various forms of grace towards, to, towards each other. Yes, that takes humility. It's, it's much easier for a natural pride to minister our various forms of scrutiny and criticism to each other. That comes natural. Not the other way around. So in order to minister God's various grace, the gifts we received to each other, yes, we need to the grace to humble ourselves. And we dearly, congregation, need to stop ignoring the numerous places in God's word where humility and to humble yourselves is set forth as the crucial requirement in order to be God's people. A proud Christian is an oxymoron. Shouldn't, don't exist. A church in which people are not willing to humble themselves towards each other, to really consider. Just look around you. See all your brothers and sisters and consider yourself the least. That's humbling yourself. And congregations where people are not willing to do that, they will soon fall apart with all sorts of quarrels and infighting about little things. And it will certainly not survive the hostility of the world that is gathering. Humility, not pride, is required from God's elect strangers in the world. 
There is in God's kingdom simply no room for human pride. And Peter emphasizes this by quoting in our passage Proverbs 3 verse 34. Where he writes, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So, brothers and sisters, you want to receive God's grace? Begin by considering yourself the servant of everyone here. The proud will find the almighty God as their opponent. But those who humble themselves, he will exalt. So think about it. We are here in a text commanded by the Holy Spirit to humble ourselves. And that by itself tells us that we all, by nature, are too proud. We are commanded to humble ourselves, all of us. Because we are too proud by nature. And yes, we can do this. And yes, it is true that that only works through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But don't relax now and sit down and wait and see what the Holy Spirit will do within you. Because the Lord Jesus once promised, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We must ask for the Holy Spirit and then we will receive him. And then by his power, we can humble ourselves. We can overcome our natural pride. We must ask the Holy Spirit at the beginning of each day. You cannot go and live as a Christian in in this world if you don't have a humble spirit. Everything you try to convey about Christ will fall dead on the ground if you're not humble. Truly does. So that's how we begin the day. Asking the Lord for the Holy Spirit so that we, we can be humble people. You should also ask, for example, before we attend a congregational meeting or a consistory meeting, that we will be able to be humble, to humble ourselves and to serve others with our input. But, but still, we find that time and again, the pride of our old nature takes over in our lives. Asking for the Holy Spirit and humbling ourselves is something that we therefore must do time and again and more and more. Just remember, our Lord and Savior made himself nothing, and we must strive with all our might to be never to be more than our Lord and Savior's nothing. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Now Peter uses this quote from Proverbs also as a transition. Transition from humbling ourselves towards each other to humbling ourselves before God. It's just impossible for a believer to claim to be humble before God while at the same time fails to strive to keep this commandment to humbly serve each other. And so Peter continues in verse 6, 
bitte wird, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God. Where, where in the Bible did we hear that phrase before? It's a phrase that Moses used more than 10 times, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. One time in the book of Exodus, but the rest nine times in the book of Deuteronomy. And he used this phrase when he spoke to the people of Israel about their delivery from Egypt and the, and the journey to the promised land. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the Lord delivered his people from the slavery in Egypt and brought them through that great and terrifying wilderness, as Moses called it, into the promised land. With a mighty hand. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Moses told the Israelites. You shall remember the whole way. That the Lord your God has led you. These 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you. There it is. It was all about. The 40 years journey, that they might humble them and that he would test them to see what was in their heart, whether they would keep his commandment or not. You need to be humble. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Be able to obey his commandments. But how often, we know the story, how often had the people of Israel during their journey through that wilderness, instead of humbling themselves under that mighty hand of God, let their pride get the best of them and rebelled against the Lord. And how many of them had therefore not been able to, promote, to enter the promised land and perished during the journey to watch it? What happened? They had taken the eyes of the Lord's promise to make them prosperous to give them a, the promised land, to give them a land flowing from milk and honey. And so all that they saw now was the desert. Enemies greater and mightier than they were. Threats, danger, difficulties, disappointments, everywhere is all they saw. They took their eyes of the Lord's promise. They forgot to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and they thought they knew better than God. They didn't need bitter water at Marah. They didn't need to get thirsty before the God broke the rock. They knew better. They got to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And therefore they perished in the desert. Looked at the here and the now and, and they feared what they saw. And they forgot that God was calling them to the glory of the promised land. And so all they had left now was rebellious complaints with buried deep the faith in God's faithfulness and love for them. Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, God is the God of all grace and he has called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while. It's true, we, we are 
here in the world not at home. They are God's elect strangers in it. So do not consider it strange that those of the world don't like what you stand for. Just rejoice in it that you're on a journey. A journey to not just any glory, but to the glory to which the God of all grace is calling you. And yes, on the journey, then things can and will happen that you won't understand. You will find yourself in, in situations that will tempt you to take your eyes off the promises of your God and the glory to which he calls you. You see, impatience and human pride often come together and they sneak up on you. You strive to be humble, to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and, 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 and you hope that he will lift you up in his time. And, and you're all wise and your faithful God will certainly do this, but it says in, in, in the proper time, in verse 6. And the proper time is his time. And his time is the time that he had determined by his infinite wisdom and infinite love for you, his people. So you will have to wait for it. And you're not so good at waiting. Because of this, we too will wonder about, at times about the way that the Lord leads our lives, especially when you in experience suffering of sickness or disappointments or, or grief. Also, if you suffer the hostility of an unbelieving world or, or if you are confronted by your own weakness to resist the world's temptations. Not all, we will not always understand it. And then, the, and then the question comes, why Lord, why me Lord, why now Lord, what have I done wrong Lord? He, of course you, you would not say that out loud, but you know what's in your heart and the Lord knows it too. And such questions will come up in your heart. And then they threaten to overshadow your faith in the Lord and in his promises. You're weak. And it takes strength to humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows that we are but dust. And the Apostle Peter, as a faithful shepherd of God's flock, echoing the teaching of his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Luke 12, verse 22, writes... Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He does. Brothers and sisters, all your anxieties, you may bring them, you may cast them before the Lord. Whatever you may suffer, your wavering faith, doubt that God takes note of you, your fears, all and any of them, your failings, you may cast them upon your God. He cares for you. Don't be ashamed to tell him of your doubts. Don't be ashamed to tell him of the weakness of your faith. 
Don't be ashamed to tell him about the power and the tenacity of your pride. He cares for you, no matter what. You're his. He's calling you to his eternal glory. And he is the God of all grace. And he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Your safe arrival in the promised land is, is guaranteed. Your Savior is said once, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So vigorously strive to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. For then that mighty hand is not only your guide to eternal glory, but also your shelter in the most severe storms of life. Strive to always show your humility before God by your humility to one another. You're on a journey towards glory. And on that journey, we must also resist the devil, as we'll now look at in our second point. Writing are about resisting the devil. The first thing Peter mentioned is that we must be sober-minded. And being sober-minded means that we must at all times be aware of what we are and of where we are and what we must be. Now, we are God's elect strangers in the world. And that means that we are in hostile territory. And that means that we must be continuously alert. Sober-minded. Behind all the seemingly harmless kindness and attractiveness of what the world offers lures the devil. And do not be deceived by it. The forbidden fruits will never cease to look desirable and they also will never cease to be deadly. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Like a lion he is an expert at seeking out the weak and those who by destruction wander off. He focuses his deadly stare on those of the Lord's people who are weakened by pride. Weakened by pride. Brothers and sisters, do not allow the hardship of this life and the threat of a hostile world to, to turn your eye away from God, who calls you to his eternal glory, for then you will have to resort to your own ways of security. And you become a target for the devil. To provide your own ways for security, like in the church. You will be zealously defending the things that you will feel comfortable about. And in the world you will be lying low, hiding who you are, and so cease to be a light in the world. What's happened if you're weakened by pride? Not allow yourself to think that whatever you might have to suffer here is a sign of the Lord's displeasure towards you. That's the first thing the devil will tell you. But the Lord loves you. He wants you. He has called you to his eternal glory. 
But the devil, he prowls. And he seeks to devour. So yes, here in the world, we'll suffer a little while. A little while. How little is a lifetime in comparison with the eternal weight of glory. And the brotherhood throughout the world suffer the same kind of suffering and, and often much worse suffering than we do. So do not think your suffering to be a strange thing. Just as with the Israelite, God is testing you to know what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Struggle to humble yourself every day again. Or is it pride? With this pride, you become a target for the devil. You're weak. As long as you God feel like strange in the world, you will suffer. The devil makes sure of that. He still prowls around and he knows that there are only a short time left and we must resist him, says our text. The devil, you might say, is so mighty, so powerful, so cunning. How are we able to resist him? Can you run away from him? No. Will he go when you tell him to go? No. Can you resist him by shunning the world? No. Can you resist him to trying to walk the straight and the narrow? When you're living a legalistic life? No. How then can you resist the devil? The answer Peter gives is by standing firm in the faith. That means that no matter what, you keep your eye on the Lord Jesus, for it is him who, is a, who was able to resist the devil, and he is able still. He did overpower the devil, and he will, in the end, completely destroy him. James, the Apostle James, right in his letter in chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And how do you resist him? James says, by drawing near to God. For then God draws near to you. That is, resisting the devil is standing firm in the faith. That is, drawing near to God. That's standing firm in the faith. That is resisting the devil. Drawing near to God. And how do we draw near to God, who is holy and majestic and sits on the throne? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father than through me. And that brings us to the cross where our Savior made our victory secure when he cried out, it is finished. It brings us to an empty grave where we see dead and hell defeated. And from there, we see him sitting at the right hand of God as the first one of many brethren, the many who believe in him. And from there, that right hand of God in the throne, God's call to eternal glory continues to ring through all that we might suffer in this life. Through all our temptations and fear, we can hear that mighty and wonderful call to glory, and it drowns out the roaring of the devil in the tumult of this world. 
by faith, by believing in and praying to our Lord Jesus Christ, who did for you what you cannot do. You draw near to God. And so you are effectively resisting the devil. It's at the feet of Jesus. At the throne, that's the throne of grace. Confessing your weakness to him. That you stand firm in the faith. Yes, every time that you cast all your anxiety upon him who cares for you, the devil will flee from you. Resist the devil. When the way to glory, we can at all times trust in God who calls us. And we'll look at it now lastly in our third point, to trust in the God of all grace. We read in verse 10 of our text, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You see, our God is ever the God of all grace. He gives people the grace they need when they attempt it. He gives them the grace they need when they fear, when they suffer, when they are weak. And this God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while. And this God promises that he himself will restore you, confirm you, recognize you as, as, as his own. And that he strengthen you, make you strong, and establish you, make you firm and steadfast. He himself will do it. In him you can trust. And you will most certainly arrive at the eternal glory to which he has called you. You may be confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Nothing will separate you from his love. And in your Savior, you, you are God's elect strangers in the world and already more than conquerors. No matter, no matter, no matter how we have been damaged by sin, how severe you have been hurt by sufferings, no matter how badly you have been stained by temptations, no matter how often you have been torn by fears, have been scuffed by doubts. The God of all grace, the God who has called you to his eternal glory, he himself, he will restore you. One day in the twinkling of an eye, you will be perfect. You will be exactly the way God from all eternity wanted you to be. And, and he himself will do it. And then you will no longer be God's elect strangers in the world, but God's beloved children who have come home to the promised land. The promised glory, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so yes, here and now for a little while, you'll suffer. It is only a little while and then eternal glory. It's true here in the world, we are but strangers, but you're God's elect strangers who by his grace have been called to his eternal glory and therefore, although the journey may go through painful trials, your safe and glorious arrival is sure. 
And your future is beyond what you're able to imagine in, in beauty, in peace, in happiness, and in glory. Your God, the God of all grace, will make you strong, firm, and steadfast already here. Strong enough to persevere in the journey. And one day soon he will make you forever strong, forever firm, forever steadfast. There will be no more weaknesses of pride. No more wandering. No more doubt forever. And therefore, be close by joining Peter and joyfully and hopefully and thankfully exclaim to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.